Bob Sewell. I'm a lawyer. In fact, I'm a partner at the law firm of Davis Miles McGuire Gardner. I started this podcast because my clients always ask me, is that even legal? I want to discuss on this podcast how the law affects us and changes our daily lives. I hope you enjoy the show. I hope it is meaningful to you and I hope you learn from it. Thank you. Today's guest in the podcast is Libby Van Pelt. Libby, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. You know, I was really curious about your resume and your approach. And a reason why is it really just spoke to me. You are a lawyer's lawyer. You went to Stanford Law. You had a federal clerkship. You were a federal prosecutor. You've done corporate litigation. Right now, you have your own firm. I understand you're specializing in, uh, you, you know, that your emphasis rather is in uh, criminal law and in personal injury. Do I have that right? Yep, absolutely. Personal injury and criminal defense. I, I only do federal criminal defense work. But yeah, and I'm, I'm super excited. I launched my own practice on June 1st, so recently. And I really did it because um, there was, there was, I've been a lot of places in the law, but nowhere where I felt that I could really practice law authentically in a way yep. that felt true to me. Yep. And uh, yeah, so, and I thought if I'm seriously injured or if I'm in a really big pickle where the federal government is looking at me for investigation or indictment, there were a bunch of good lawyers out there that I thought, oh, I could hire this person, but no one that really spoke to me. And I was like, hey, I'm going to go and be that lawyer for these people. So we'll see how it goes. Oh, you know, that is so important. I mean, the being the having the freedom to be the person you want to be, to practice in a way that you find ethical, that you find appropriate, that makes you a happy person, so important. And so I'm glad you're finding that. You know, you had you have listed on your website your approach, which is what attracted us to you to have you on. And that approach really has been uh, something that I you know rings true to me. And I want to share with you a story, get your comment, and then I want you to share your approach. Then I'm going to play a little devil's advocate with you, okay? <laughs> All right. So I was once representing a person and the person was going to eventually become the subject of the litigation. Okay. Uh And she receives, and you had two warring parties and it was all caused by the work done by a third party. And I represented that third party and everyone wanted to know what this third party had to say and whoever was most aggrieved by whatever she had to say, that was the person that's going to sue. And so she gets subpoenaed and we know what's coming, right? It's not mm-hmm. going to be pretty. And so I go, to the, I go to the deposition and I, you know, prep my client as best you can. And we sit down and on one side, we had the bulldog attorney and he was your alpha male. And on the other side, you had the nice guy. Okay. And the bulldog, you know, he had the deep voice and he had the big imposing and he's like, 
true, you know, and she, you know, is an older woman. She, she's, yeah, I guess it's true. Uh, and, you know, I had to take several breaks. Now, calm yourself. You're going to be okay. Just answer truthfully. But he got a lot of progress on by going, you know, that really tough guy approach. And then we had the nice guy, the nice guy approach. And in sales, you have something called the affirmative nod. If you've ever done any sales where you want someone to say yes, you get them answering yes in the beginning to every question you want. And if good lawyers know to do this in depositions to you too, and then you, you nod yes. And as they're answering yes, and then you get to the hard questions and then they keep saying yes, that's the goal, right? And it works sometimes. And so he comes up with this really nice approach. He talks to her like he's talking to his mother or his grandma. And that's what this really was about, wasn't it? And he's undoing everything the bulldog just did. And he's so nice about it. And my mind was just incredibly blown and enlightened by this approach where the nice guy really did win. Yes, here, here. Yes, that is, that's the story of my life in the law and what's led me to, to my current approach. Uh, the tagline on my website is smart plus kind trial lawyer. Um, and I've had, I've had a lot of people reach out to me. Wow, this is such a crazy idea. And I'm like, why is this crazy? <laughs> why is it crazy that we would want to hire a lawyer and that we would want to support other lawyers who are kind, right? You've been a lawyer for a while. And, and, and I remember since law school, you know, being talked to about how important it was to be civil in the law and civility. Yeah. And it's crazy. Isn't it, isn't it wild? What does that say about our profession? That that's the bar. Like, be yeah. civil. Like, be formally polite, right? Sign your emails respectfully, even if you mean go F yourself, right? right. Like, <laughs> why, like, why is that the bar in, in, in only our profession? I think it's wild. And I think you're absolutely right. This idea that you get the best result by being a jerk, I just fundamentally uh, disagree with that on so many levels. Yeah. Um, you know, in your... In your uh... In your approach, you have this. You say, righteous anger and indignation is not where true power lives. The key to our power is our capacity to lead from a place of love and not fear. Yes. Tell me about that. Why'd you say that? Yes, I feel like in, in every moment when we're living, we're choosing to live in fear or we're choosing to live in love. And for lawyers, fear is endemic to our work. First of all, we're constantly either anticipating or engaging in conflict. And yep. second of all, we're put in situations all the time where our performance and our competence is evaluated and critiqued often publicly. We are yeah. living in fear. And, and there's a lot of power in fear, right? As you see mm -hmm. in the public arena, as you see in politics, as you see elsewhere. But I fundamentally believe um, to my core that love is more powerful than fear. And so I try to flip this approach on the head. What would it look like if you're motivated and inspired by the people behind you, by your clients, by your love for them, rather than by 
your hate for the adversary on the other side of the aisle. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't disagree with that. You know, I, I had a, uh, a trial and it was a hard fought trial. I mean, we, we went several days in the courtroom and we had a year or two of, of discovery and, you know, when there was a lo- winner and there was a loser, thankfully I was on the winning side, knock on wood. Right. And, <laughs> but, you know, and, 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 and we had, a, we disagreed. At the end of the trial, the judge says to us in almost disbelief, he says, kind of points his finger at us and we got done and the, you know, the jury gave its verdict and he says, uh, you guys uh, respect each other, don't you? And I said, well, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I hadn't really thought about it, but yeah, we, we respect each other, respect each other's skill. And um, he almost said it in disbelief, like, good for you guys, you know. This, <laughs> um, <laughs> and interestingly enough, uh, he's now a judge. The my opposing attorney mm-hmm. on that case is now a judge. And when he went up to be a judge, he says to me, "Hey, Bob, will you write me a recommendation?" And I said, "Absolutely, I'll write you a recommendation." And, and I wrote several recommendations for him, actually, as he tried multiple times to get a job. And and uh, you know, and he's I haven't heard from you know. Since I think I heard from one since then, we we actually live in the same town, but um, it it was a good experience. I'm not going to say, you know, that uh, we got along on everything. We disagreed and we litigated in the courtroom everything. Right. But we respected each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's um, that's such a cool story. And you will not find a single person. Who knows who knows me or has practiced with me that says because I'm a kind person, I'm a pushover, or I sit around and sing kumbaya all day, or I won't try. I'll try any case. You can be incredibly fierce in litigation and in life and still lead from a place of love. Yeah. I also think it does our clients a disservice to be that prickly guy all the time. Let me share with you. I practice in an area that is really um, not a lot of people do. And so I see the same attorneys over and over and over again. And it's also uh, the cases are tough in that, you know, sometimes there's a lot of money at stake and sometimes there's just a little bit and attorney's fees are not granted and Uh a lot. And so you're going to end up in a situation where the pot's going to dwindle and the, you know, and no one's going to win. And so you have to really decide if you, you know, what's important. And I also think you have to decide what's, um, you know, whether or not you could settle. And part of settling is being able to talk to people, being able to have a good conversation so you could see eye to eye, maybe convince each other, find middle ground and reach a good result for the client. And that's part of the professionalism. I'll give you an example um, where it didn't work out. 
I had this situation where I thought there was a possibility for a win-win, but the parties were entrenched, right? Family members Mm -hmm. fighting each other. The parties were entrenched. And I thought there's a win-win here. If I could only get the opposing party to see. So I call up, you know, and there's all sorts of nasty emails sent to me. You're a horrible attorney. You're a horrible guy. (laughs) And I get on the phone and it's rudeness with from moment one. And at that point, I realized there's no talking. There's no, this, you can't have a conversation. You, there's no way to reach a conclusion when there's from moment one, it's just, you know, just rudeness. And so I let it go. I said, fine, we'll, we'll litigate it in court. And he ends up losing the case. And his client is now suffering. And my client isn't better off because under these particular set of facts, he just is the winner. He's not better off. And there is a way for both to be better off. But I I just think that 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 sort of prickliness doesn't really help. Do you agree? I totally agree. And let me share with you from from my practice area, personal injury law, right? I don't know what it's like in your neck of the woods, but where I am, every every personal injury attorney looks the same way. It's predominantly older white men. You go to their websites, right? Mm -hmm. You have a seizure because there's a chat box and there's a banner flying across the top. And it, oh, I will fight for you, right? It's some dude mm-hmm. looking like a gladiator with a row of books before him. What does that mean? I will get you every penny. And my experience in working with victims, uh, predominantly victims of sexual abuse, but really victims of any number of bad stuff that's happened to you, is I don't know if they want a mercenary, right? Who's going to take it to the other side, drag out, punch out, file every motion, fight everything, go to court five years from now. So much as they want someone who's going to sit with them in a really dark time and walk with them along this path and help light the way, right? Certainly if I were really seriously injured or sexually abused, that's who I would want. And then also to your point about is this person effective, right? Like in my, in personal injury land, I've seen so many lawyers go into mediations and sit across the table from defense counsel, in-house counsel, insurance adjuster, and say, we're going to beat you at trial. You're a morally bankrupt piece of crap because you're not paying us our client. Want, 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 right? I walk in there with a totally different philosophy. I sit down at the table and I've been talking to them days and weeks before. And my approach is, hey, this really terrible thing happened. We all feel terribly. How can you pay us a million dollars or $500,000 or $200,000 and look really good at your job? What would that take? What would you need to go to your boss and get a check for this amount, right? (laughs) Yeah, I like that. Right, right. And then your client walks out, right? Six months instead of five years from now, that experience looks looks so much differently. So yeah, absolutely. But clients come in and they say, Libby, I mean, you got to admit, clients come in, they say, Libby, I want a bulldog. I want a gladiator. I will never give up. It's principle. Don't they say this? 
Um, yeah, I say I'm not the lawyer for you then. <laughs> My favorite question when a client comes in is I say, what, what are your goals? And if the client says, I want to teach so-and-so a lesson, I'm not your lawyer because that's not my approach. I don't think that you teach people lessons in life, certainly not through litigation, right? And yeah. so part of part of, of my strategy is I'm I'm a kind person. I also want to represent kind people. I want to work with kind people. And if your philosophy is fundamentally opposed to that, then then we're not a good match. I don't know if that's the right answer. What do you say, Bob, when people come into you and say, I want a bulldog, I want a pit bull? Yeah. You know, I get that occasionally. And I say, no, you don't want the bulldog because the bulldog cannot reach a resolution. And the other thing I like to point out is you want me to have ultimate credibility that when I bring a case, it is a good case and I'm going to be able to pursue it all the way to the end. And you want me to never bluff because the opposing party needs to know that when Bob Sewell files a lawsuit, it's a good lawsuit. And he's going to fight it to the end if he has to. And too many times you have attorneys who are bluff. You know, they bluff or they, they bluster. And you know who they are. And you think, and that's just the blustering guy. He really doesn't know what he's doing. And, and that's unfortunate for the client. And when I go before a judge and I say, Smith versus Johnson says X, they need, the judge knows that Smith versus Johnson says X. They don't even have to look it up because Bob Sewell said it. That's how much credibility I, I want to have. That way, when I have a good client who needs me to lend my credibility to them, to lend my relationships to them. I have those relationships. I have that credibility. I could lend it to them. And that's what you're paying for. But when you have the blusterer, the fighter, the jerk, the fees just go up, but the results don't go up. You know, the other thing I hear a lot is it's about principle. I need to fight because it's about principle. And that's the wrong approach too. You know, that you want you to fight for me. It's just about principles, about the right and wrong. And I usually say to that, um, how much is principle worth? And I know that I'm not trying to be glib. Said, no, they're like, no, principle is priceless. Well, okay. But we could put a number on this, right? I will, Libby, I'm going to tell you, principle is worth in between five and $15,000. After <laughs> that, they have no principle. And so, you know, and then, you you know, and in a lawyer litigation, that's not a lot of money, you know. So I really have a have a strong feeling about where you're going, where you're heading, because I think it's the right approach. And I think it is uh, better for the client. You get better results when Libby walks in and she says, you're not being reasonable. I'm going to bring this case. And I'm going to fight it to the end. Everyone knows that Libby is going to fight this case to the end now. Yeah. Yeah. A thousand percent. Um, I tell clients. Yeah. That I, I agree with you so much about that. The justice system is not the place for principles. It's not the place to teach people lessons. Um, 
very rarely in the legal system through a lawsuit, you get justice, you get the best deal possible. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. One of, one of my mentors always says the justice system is built on this idea that through the clash of lies, the truth will emerge. I'm, I'm not, I'm not that cynical, but, um, but I think that it's, it's limited what you can get out of, you know, we all have the stories where truly justice really does emerge in the courtroom or, or in litigation. Uh, but it's, it's the rare case. In it my is experience. rare. It is rare. Let me um, push back on this a little bit. Let's see. Let's, yeah. Let me play devil's advocate for a minute. Let's do it. You were a federal prosecutor. Yes. Did you put people behind bars with love? Uh, um, I will tell you this. My approach flows from a real awakening that I've had personally and spiritually and in the law since that time. And, and it really, right, the reckoning that, that our country's been through and that our society's been through in the last couple of years, it's dovetailed with that. And when I was a federal prosecutor marching into the courtroom with imprimatur and with an army of resources, the system looked very fair to me and I felt very righteous <laughs> and I acted yeah. in a very righteous manner. And mm-hmm. now that I've had the experience to walk into the courtroom on the other side of the aisle by myself, where I have to beg the judge for, for pennies to, to hire an expert or to do anything else, where my client is in shackles facing mandatory minimums, the system looks very different. It looks so crushingly unfair at times. So I think back a lot to my time as a federal prosecutor. Certainly my approach has changed. I think every federal prosecutor should have the experience that I've now had to represent people on the other side of the aisle. And I actually think that 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 is something that ails our criminal justice system and maybe more broadly the legal system. Because think about like in the military, right? In the JAG Corps, lawyers there, they go and are a defense lawyer for a couple of years, and then they're a prosecutor for a couple of years, and then they're a defense lawyer for a couple of years. And yeah. so you kind of have this um, experience on both sides that allows you to see your adversary as a human instead yeah. of instead of as the adversary, as the bad person who's representing the deplorable people, blah, 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 right? And I think I think there should be more of that in our system. So um, I was not as kind and as loving in that role as I am now, but I still think that I did a pretty good job, and I still think that I did really good work. And I think there is so uh, prosecutors should have this approach. I mean, they have more more power. You, you, you look at the founders of our country were so concerned, right, about power being concentrated in one body of people. And at yeah. least now in our federal criminal justice system, we have concentrated all of the power in one body of people, in the prosecutors. And so, Bob, I was a 27-year-old, newly minted federal prosecutor with limited life experience and really no life experience that mirrored the people I was putting behind bars. And I was the one making decisions to charge these decades-long mandatory minimums that weren't subject to review by the presidentially appointed Senate-confirmed 
judge, you know, decades my senior. And I think that's a problem. Um, so uh, that's a long answer. What do you think? What's your take? No, I don't disagree. I mean, I, I, I when I say, when I hear love, I yeah. don't necessarily hear we're going to be forgiving and hold hands and sing Kumbaya. I think it means showing respect, showing kindness, um, showing professionalism. Uh, but I don't think, you know, the prosecutor necessarily has to, you know, he's got a job to do or she's got a job to do as the case may be. I, I, so I think it's possible, you know, you don't have to be, you don't have to be rude about it. You just have to say, you know, I'm, I'm not comfortable with offering that sentence. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, love can be, love can be hard, right? I just pulled up actually, um, cause I found this the other day. It's a post-it note that I had on my desk when I was a prosecutor about what's my mission? What am I doing here? And it says, I hold people accountable for their actions in a way that acknowledges their humanity. Yeah. I think that's, that's what love is. I do my job in a way that acknowledges people's humanity in this system on the other side of the aisle. Right. Yeah. Let me push back on you another. And again, yeah. you know, our profession, I've read a statistic we outpace almost all professions, if not every profession, on drug abuse, on alcoholism. Um, we uh, have more people who are depressed. We have we we as professionals, if you, you're more likely to commit suicide if you're uh, than most professionals if you're an attorney. You know they have a lot of burnout. The vast majority of people who go to law school don't make it past, or not about the majority, but a significant of people who go to law school don't make it past five years at practice. Um, is what you're saying more self-serving or is it helpful? My approach will solve that problem, Bob. <laughs> because here's... Um, I read a study the other day that showed that upon entering law school, law students are no more depressed, mentally ill, drug or alcohol abusing than the normal population. But yet we know what happens to us, right? Bob? Oh, yeah. And so interestingly, that article suggested why, why do we shift in this way negatively and I think it's because law school trains us to ignore our own values and to speak words that we don't necessarily believe, the insincerity of which causes ethical stress, right? It breeds cynicism. It leads us to suspect others of ulterior motives, encourages secretiveness and manipulation and selfishness, right? Yeah. Um, and... And that's why I'm so passionate about, about my approach. And because I think, and, and, and the, the profession's response is we need more yoga. We need more well-being. We need more people meditating, right? We need people to do all of these things outside the law to support themselves so they can come in the law and be real jerks and ass, right? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's exactly what it's the insane. What we're being fed, and I'm yeah. saying no, that's not the solution. The solution is to fundamentally rethink how we're practicing law and do it in a way 
that we can live with ourselves all of the hours of the day. And, and I think an attorney who is more mentally, you know, emotionally insightful, emotionally mature, who is, who is seen clearly, therefore, will be a more effective advocate for all the reasons we said. One of the things you said, though, and let me, let me push back on one more time. One of the things he said on your blog, it says, um, I, you're talking about your clients, that you listen to clients, and you say, more than just legal knowledge, I offer emotional intelligence, warmth, connection, and strength of character. Does the love mean that you agree with your client? No, no, absolutely not. And love doesn't mean that I like you or that I want to spend time with you outside of our attorney-client relationship. Or love means, though, that I will hold space for you. I will hold space for you, hold non-judgmental space for you to be who you are and exist exactly as you are in this moment. And my experience is when you're truly able to do that, hold space and love someone exactly as they exist in that moment, right? Not like them, not agree with them, not affirm them, right? But Mm -hmm. hold space for them to be exactly who they are, um, that your relationship is transformed and that, that things start to look a little bit differently in their minds and they respond and they act differently. And I think that's so important from the beginning as, as a criminal defense attorney, like I cringe when people walk in and sit down with their clients and say, tell me what happened. Did you do it or not? Right. Because you're setting your client up for failure, right? No, you need to walk in and you need to create this space hold this energy, build this trust, create a safe container, right? Where they truly can be open and honest with you. And, um, and, and love flows when you're able to get in that space and, and hold energy in that way. You know, one of the things, it's the old saying, I think you got to be, one of the old sayings we have is you got to be cruel to be kind, right? And I think it comes up in the attorney client relationship a lot. It does for me. And frequently I hear, well, I want to do, and I want this and I want that. And you're going to go out and do this and you're going to go out and do that. And I had to say, hold on, hold on. Let's talk about what that actually means. I care about you. I want you to be successful in every way. And when we can get, go down this road, There'll be no more family get togethers. There's not, you know, you're not going to be having, uh, you know, you're not going to be having Thanksgiving again. You're, you're not going to be able to sleep at night. You're going to dread every single time I call you. You're going to, your heart's going to patter when you get an email from me. And you're going to suffer emotionally, physically, spiritually, financially. And so before we go down that road, let's make sure this is really what you want, that you have no other options, that this is really worth the effort. And sometimes when they hear that, they say, nah, the 50 grand wasn't worth it. I'm not going to go down that way. But when they, but when they do, they're like, you know, you're right. Let's go down this road. 
then they yeah. really know. And I, and I can have a clear conscience that they were advised. And I had one client and he, he and I got along very well and he, he suffered, a, you know, a tremendous amount of grief. There were three people very close to him that died within a year and a half and he planned all their funerals and it led to, you know, some massive litigation. And then when we were litigating, I uncovered, you know, facts that did not, you know, that, that found out that his frauds were committed on him and he didn't know it. And he had done some things they shouldn't have done. And when we, and he didn't know it and understand it and all these things coming at him and he, he lost the ability to work. He had to take a leave of absence and he appreciated my help because I was able to say in advance, this is going to happen to you. And we ended up getting him a very good result. And, um, uh, got got his money back that was stolen from him and settled the 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 cases against him and 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 he looks back and says man that was a tough time but bob thank you for helping me but it wouldn't have happened if i took the approach where i objectified him took the approach of of he's just my object for money or i'm just the litigator no i had to look at the person as a whole person and help him get to the next step Oh, bless you, Bob. I love that story. That epitomizes, as you said, the difference between hiring a pit bull and hiring kind of what I used to, what I think of as like the old school, like counselor at law, the wise person, the keeper of wisdom, the person that really, you know, your story says it best, that really helps you figure out what you want and what's best for your life instead of just firing off here and there because you can, right? It's right. huge. It's a, it's a huge, it's a, it makes a huge difference. And I think it represents a real paradigm shift in how most lawyers practice because this, we're not trained to, to think and to work in this way. Do you agree with that? We don't learn this in law school. We don't learn how to build relationships. No, I, I, I tend to, I, you're exactly right. It's a it's a deficit in our legal training. And even when they try to teach us mediation, they try to teach it in terms of winning and losing. And they, yeah, it's, frankly, it's, it's, uh, it's unfortunate, but we need to have, understand very, from the very beginning about what our clients are going to go through. I practice, you are in the same boat. We both practice real people law. Yeah. Uh, the rubber meets the road with us. We don't have some corporate blob behind us. And that vast majority of us in the law practice real people law. Um, Libby, I wish you the ultimate success. And I am so glad and excited that there are other like-minded attorneys out there. I think we're going to start a revolution. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. I look forward to it. I hope to be back and we'll talk about all the progress we make. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, I Thank you for coming on. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Folks, thank you for listening. This has been the podcast, Is That Even Legal? A discussion of what's legal. 
Just as a reminder, this is not legal advice for you. This is general information. It's meant to be educational. If you have specific legal needs, don't be afraid to reach out to an attorney to get good legal advice. Attorneys are lovable. They're fun. They want to hear from you. See you next time.